The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about the discomfort side of getting out of the comfort zone. So in particular, discomfort isn't any fun for anybody. As a leader, I don't necessarily love the discomfort part of growth. And people who are following me don't necessarily love me being discomfortable or even more so me putting them into discomfort. So, however, there's no growth if there's no discomfort. So that's what we want to focus on. How do you lean into the discomfort and use it constructively? Now, you know from listening to the leader of my show and for past shows that I believe that expert leaders in particular get used to being right, to having the facts at hand, to making decisions based on the facts, to knowing that the work is accurate because you did it or you can verify it, and that puts you in a particular kind of comfort zone. But as you grow and expand your responsibility, you've got to lean into that discomfort, both from not having all the facts, plus from having difficult conversations, and that's what we're going to talk about. So we want to talk about how you change practices so that you no longer use time as an excuse for telling versus leading, or getting comfortable, how do you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and how do you lean in to nudge your employees into discomfort without pushing them over the edge. So with me today is Darta Marsha Reynolds. Now, Marsha has three fascinating parts of her background. One is she's fascinated by the brain, especially what triggers feelings of connection, commitment, and possibility. And she uses that research to help leaders understand how to have more effective and meaningful conversations, particularly places where there's discomfort. Second part of her background is that she's deeply steeped in coach coaching and trains coaches. She's worked in over 35 countries. She's the current president of the Association for Coach Training Organizations. She's the direct training director for the Pyramid Coaching Institute, and she teaches in coaching schools in Russia and China, among other things. And the third part about Marsha is she's a bit of a prolific writer. Um, three books, Outsmart Your Brain, the second one is Wonder Woman, and the third that we're going to be talking about, The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversation into Breakthroughs. So, Marsha, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. Thank you for this. this is my favorite topic uh, and helping people so they don't avoid discomfort but actually see opportunity in it. Fabulous. All right. So let's talk about that. Why do you think discomfort is so important? I know I said that in the lead, but what's your view on why we need to really focus on this one? Um, well, you said it, that we don't grow if there's no discomfort, that, you know, the brain has to be kind of like shaken up 
um, to create that opening for learning. And it's so much we operate in autopilot. Um, and uh, and even though we may feel anxious and overwhelmed, the brain is still doing the same thing, and it's 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 operating in status quo. But if you say something or do something that makes people stop and go, huh, and they start to question their thinking, that's when they're open to really seeing things differently and growing and changing. Okay. So now presumably with this, there's a good bit of emotions that come and play. <laughs> so when I'm going to shake things up, um, mm-hmm. can I tell us a little bit about how that all plays into this. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's... Um, most of the time I find leaders are, uh, they speculate, oh, and if I say this, the person's going to have a bad reaction, and, um, and that's going to be hard for me to deal with. Um, what's really interesting about the, the emotional reaction is that generally when you ask the question that make people stop and go, oh, I hadn't thought about it, for a moment there will be actually no emotion because the brain has to rewire. So you often get this like blank stare. And then there's an emotion because all of a sudden they see their blind spot or they see what they've been missing and they could be embarrassed, they could have nervous laughter, they could even be a little angry. Um, and if you just hold the space for them to, to react to what they now see, they generally come out of it and then can say what they're learning and, and deal with that. So it's really a matter of just allowing people to process you know, what they're learning and, and reacting to instead of trying to fix them or change them. Okay. Now, presumably that works the same if the leader is the one that's in the zone of discomfort and is having a bit of a reaction. That y- Well, you know, what's interesting about that is um, I always say the leader sets the emotional tone. So if you go into a conversation expecting someone to be defensive um, or to uh, just, you know, be avoidant and not want to talk to you and so that you're scared or you're angry, well, you bring that fear and that anger into the conversation and they're either going to take it on for themselves, um, you know, or react against it. So uh, what emotions you see, you could be causing just by the emotions you bring in to the conversation in the first place. Reminds me of a guest I had on a show, I don't know, three or four months ago, where she had written a little story that wasn't her main part of the talk, but she's written this uh, dialogue of a teenager who runs away from home and is out in the, you know, trying to get the kind of job that she wants in this particular case, but she's bringing all this negative emotion with her and is getting, in response, a bunch of negative emotion. And it's only until she stops to look inside and change the inside mm-hmm. that she starts to get a different reaction. Interesting mm-hmm. trigger. Okay, so let's talk about this issue about time. I often say, leaders always say to me, particularly expert leaders, that I don't have time mm-hmm. to stop and coach, and I don't have time to delegate, and I don't have time to train mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. on how to do the work, and it's just easier to do it myself. What's your advice for those leaders? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, that's a short-term decision instead of looking at the long-term. But I often ask my clients, because I coach you know, a lot of uh, leaders, I say, do you want to be the, the bottleneck or do you want to direct the flow of energy and work in your organization? You choose. And to say, well, I'm just going to do it for a short time, it's going to, that short time is going to end up being forever. You know, so the, those yeah. excuses for not 
not uh, delegating, for not having these conversations, end up just causing more work for everyone. And every executive I know is overwhelmed, overworked, and need to start taking the time to develop people under them. Yeah. You know, it's their responsibility, too, to have successors, and I say more than one. And besides that employees want to be developed, that's moving up, up to the top of the list of what I most want from my leaders. You know, so do you want to keep your best people? So it's not just being a bottleneck. It's also uh, motivation for your high achievers to engage them, involve them, and trust them. And they'll leave if you don't do that. Uh, so there's many business reasons for taking the time to be with people and to help them to grow and develop. That's um, I find also, particularly with expert leaders, that there is a desire to be needed. And there's a bit of an internal <laughs> right. fear that says, uh-huh. if I'm not crazy busy, oh my gosh, what's my value? Yeah. And so, yes, it's it's easy to blame it on time, but I actually think there's another side to that. Well, that's yeah. That's why people don't delegate. It's like, well, if other people can do my work, what value am I? And I'm always acknowledged for doing that and and being the one who knows and and I can handle the customers and I can do it. So if I quit doing it, uh, then I won't get that those accolades. I won't get those. Uh, compliments that they've gotten before. So there really is a, it's not just stepping into a new role. You have to ask, what am I willing to let go of? And, you know, are you really, really willing to let go of that? Um, you know, and, and that's often hard, that especially that um, being the expert and the one who knows, because that's how um, most high achievers identify, and they identify themselves that way that I'm the expert and the one who knows and the one who does best. And so that question of who am I if I'm not the one who knows and there are other people that can do this, who am I, um, has to be filled in with who am I as a great leader and to really look at can I identify as a leader instead of the one who knows and does. Uh, you couldn't have said that any better. As my personal belief about expert leaders is that your identity is attached to the expertise mm-hmm. and to the professional expertise network, and that your identity has to shift into a different role yeah. for yourself, but an identity mm-hmm. with the health and growth of the company, not necessarily with your profession. And that's easy to say, but boy, is that a hard thing to actually <laughs> do. It really is. Um, Wanda, the Oftentimes, that's the focus of my coaching is let's define the purpose of a leader and how would not just the people that work for you, but your peers, um, how do they define leadership and what does a great leader do? You know, we always acknowledge great leaders, but then we don't do those actions ourselves. Um, So the conversation for me isn't about training leaders to do things, but how to reconstruct um, that that identity of who I am and how I identify my success. Right. I love that. Reconstruct the identity of who I am. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. And my success. All right. So you have... um, three steps that you talk about for how a leader can get their mindset changed to a different way Mm -hmm. of leading. Tell us what that looks like and how does it work? Um, 
Well, you know, I have three steps for um, being present in a, in a difficult conversation. Is is that okay. what you meant, or um, and how do I? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we can do that one. So well, mm-hmm. let me go back. Before we make that mm-hmm. leap ahead, because I mm-hmm. just skipped a step, I think, in this one. Um, mm-hmm. So this notion of redefining who I am as I, I am as a leader, part of that mm-hmm. is redefining my purpose as a leader. But part of mm-hmm. that is it also to redefine how I bring myself and others into discomfort. Is that part of what you think is so important? Um, well, I, y- yes. I think that really and um, accepting that when I'm in conversation with someone that um, I might ask them a question or make a statement that will force them into feeling a little uncomfortable. And again, that's okay. That's, you know, when we look at the times in our lives that we've changed and we've made great leaps, it was often as a result of somebody saying something to you that just, it was either irritating or scary, um, and, and it was, you know, and challenged you. Um, we're grateful for that, but then as leaders, we're afraid to do that for others. We're afraid they will fall over the edge, like you say. We were afraid they're going to judge us as um, bad. Um, and there's so many different fears uh, that in the moment we don't do that. And, and the worst thing about fear is most of the time, we don't even know what we're afraid of. We just react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, agree with that one. Not sure what we're afraid of. Okay, so mm-hmm. now let me take you to your three steps for being mm-hmm. present in the middle of a difficult conversation. So here I am. Yeah. I've been bold enough to say that mm-hmm. thing that I really <laughs> needed to say to somebody, and yeah. they're having an emotional reaction in front of me, and my emotions <laughs> are running wild as in, oh, my gosh, yeah. what have I done now? Um, right. What do I do? Okay. Well, first off, you have to, um, before you even sit down with the person, there are these three things you need to consider. And the first one is, uh, what is the emotion that I want to carry in with me? Uh, and you want to choose one. And I learned this, actually, of, of doing a lot of research with professional athletes, that you need just, like, one anchor thought. You don't want to be thinking about a lot of things. You don't want to be thinking much at all, actually, but but one thing to anchor on. And I believe because your emotions are going to impact the conversation more than your words, that you want to choose, do I want to be calm? Do I want to be confident? Do I want to be compassionate, um, have empathy? You know, one thing. And that's the thing. You, you feel that before you even enter the room. And then when you're in the moment and they start to react in a way that's uncomfortable for you, you come back to that. You take a breath in, and you say that word to yourself again. It could be, again, courage or confidence or calm, and come back to feeling that. So the emotion um, is really your anchor. And then the other two steps, briefly, are you just want to remember, you know, what is it that this person really wants that I'm going to help them to get? Because you have to be there for them, not just for yourself. They need to know that. Otherwise, they're just going to check out anyway. And they'll say, well, that's your goal, but not mine. <laughs> you know, but what do they want? Do they want to be seen as a leader? Do they want to be seen um, as a, you know, uh, as smart and a contributor? Do they want more peace of mind? What is it they want that you can tie in what you want um, and keep reminding them that you're there to help them achieve that? 
And then the third thing, you have to believe in them. You have to believe in the possibility that that maybe today is going to be the day that they will change and grow. So you have to think about those three things before you even go into the conversation. And then, you know, keep coming back to that when you're present is, is take that breath in, set your emotion, remember why you're there, and that you believe in this person. Okay. No, Marsha, if I'm, let's flip the table. Suppose I'm the one that's receiving mm-hmm. this difficult, challenging, tough message. Is it the mm-hmm. same three steps for me? Oh, so like just receiving um, uh, feedback. Well, you know, I, I always tell people that, you know, um, uh, try to, to believe that the person has good intent. Um, you know, instead of thinking, oh, they woke up that day and they were thinking how they can ruin your life. <laughs> you know, so if you can come back to that, they do have good intent. So, so that's like the, they believe in you. You have to go back to, okay, I'm curious about, you know, what this person is really trying to do here and how can it help me. And yes, if I'm receiving feedback, I do want to monitor my own emotions and, um, you know, come back to a feeling of, of calmness, acceptance. And one time my boss, I knew I was going in and, and he was going to give me a, a performance review. He always had to find something wrong. And it was going to be irritating. And I said, you know, I'm just going to listen to him. And it was amazing. I just sat there and I said, okay, you know, I'll consider that. I, I didn't say I agree. I just said I'll consider that. And at the end he went, wow, you've really changed which I was like, yeah, right, <laughs> you know. But then every project that I wanted to work on, he approved. And so it was because I wasn't resistant, I ended up getting what I wanted. So don't fuel the fire, um, okay. is what I always say. And, you know, come back to the feeling you want to feel. So, yes, it does apply in that situation, too. I often say to people um, on processing feedback that they don't necessarily like, that in the moment, what you want to say to yourself is, this will be okay, or <laughs> I'll be fine, or I'll be fine, I, right. where are I they coming from, or, from feedback. <laughs> what's the purpose, or just something that you don't want to actually deal with that anxiety emotion right then. You get out of the room, and then you can go crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you want to have that one centered statement that lets you get through it, and then you mm-hmm. can go deal with the emotional reaction. All okay, right. so now all of this discomfort means mm-hmm. um, that we're, as a leader, I am asking people questions. Mm-hmm. So where do those questions come from? Um well, first off, I want to say that one of the emotions I didn't mention that I think is really critical is the emotion of curiosity. And I think it's a really underrated emotion. We usually think it's a mental state. But it's actually an emotion that I'm curious. And if you go into a conversation of, I'm really curious to understand your perspective, you know, your point of view and, and why you chose to do what you do, that curiosity can get you out of judgment, and I, so that's the first state, you know, of where questions come from is just coming from a curious place instead of a judging place. So we start with that. And, you know, and then the biggest thing is to stay out of your cognitive thinking brain. So, you know, if you're sitting there, again, analyzing and judging what they're saying, then you're not being present enough to ask a question 
that's going to really make them stop and think. So if you, if you just get into the, um, <sighs> that I'm present, I'm curious, and I care about this person, receive what it is that they're giving you, it's amazing that quite good questions just emerge. They come up. You know, it's not something that you plan before you go into the conversation. It's really spontaneous based on what it is they offer you. Um, and, you know, that takes a little practice um, and trusting that you don't have to know before you go in. But if you're really present and curious, they're going to feel that and you're going to have a much more meaningful interchange um, than when you rehearse what you're going to say. Okay. All right, Marcia, I'm going to try to do a little summary here and then we're going to take a break. Um, okay. So, as I listen to all of this, one of the things is to recognize that when I push myself or other people into discomfort, we have mm-hmm. conversations that are not comfortable, that mm-hmm. that's the moment of growth, provided that I keep people at some reasonable emotional state. A little bit of anxiety is okay, but I don't want them to go over the top. All right. <laughs> and in doing that, there are three things to be focused on. One is being very clear with myself the emotion I am carrying into the room with the conversation. So, and one word, one thought, and hopefully a more constructive one rather than a destructive one. Breathe, come back to that. The second thing I want to be thinking about is being very mindful of what it is the person I'm speaking to really wants so that I'm putting in their language, in their words, and their intent, and tying what I'm trying to say to them to what that person wants. Yeah. Believing I mean that too. And the third one is you said believe in the person, and I actually think it's a sense of hope. I hope that today might be the day. I hope that this can get fixed. I hope that things can change. I hope that somebody can learn. But when you're pessimistic about people, you tend to get not necessarily good things. Yeah. Right? And then the last piece is this whole power of curiosity. The more I bring curiosity to the conversation, I wonder what you're thinking, I wonder what you're feeling, I wonder what you're reacting, I wonder what you're imagining, I wonder what you really want, why are you saying what you're saying, that that makes the conversation go much smoother. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. So with me today is Marsha Reynolds. The book that we're talking about is The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversations into Breakthroughs. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about how to get comfortable with the discomfort and a little bit deeper dive into this whole emotional thing that surrounds being discomfortable. And we'll come right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Marsha Reynolds. Marsha um, is fascinated by the brain, and she uses the research on brains to help us understand how to have more effective, meaningful conversations. She's deeply steeped in coaching and the president of the Association for Coach Training Organizations and also the training director for Pyramid Coach Institute. Prolific writer, the book we've been talking about is The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversations into breakthroughs. Now, we've just been talking about the fact that it's only when you shake the brain up that you become opening to learning, that you start to question the status quo and stop to go, wait a minute, what does that mean? And that's the moment of learning, or as I should say for Marsha, breakthrough. Mm -hmm. I will also have to say that I have been using this word discomfort is an adjective, but it feels like we should turn it into a noun or um, discomfortable. It's actually not appropriate word, but it certainly describes the conversation. So forgive me for my listeners that are a little bit more grammatical than I have been lately. (laughs) All right. So, Marsha, what I want to do now is to talk about a little deeper into how we can get more comfortable with discomfort. Because that's a good space for ourselves and it's a good space for the people that we're leading. So what are your best tips? So... It was, though, I guess it was about 15 years ago I was asked to create a program with a sports psychologist on, um, based on how athletes get in the zone in those clutch moments when, uh, you know, everything depends on them. How do they get really present? And so I actually went out and interviewed um, professional athletes in baseball, basketball, golfers, tennis, and it was really interesting. Some of them had superstitions, um, but there were some similar things that they all did, and it mapped to what I know happens in the body and the brain when we start to feel anxious, um, uh, irritated, annoyed, all those things that we feel in an uncomfortable conversation. And um, the first thing that is really critical, so it's, it's four steps that I came up with, but the first step is really important. We often think that, um, you know, the old saying, if you change your thoughts, you change your behavior. But when you're wrapped in emotions, that just doesn't work. It doesn't last. You have to go to your body first. So the first step is you've got to relax your body. The first step is to relax because annoyance, irritation, fear, all of that is a biological reaction. So you have adrenaline in your body, tenses up in different places, and then it decreases the amount of blood to the brain. And so you actually can't 
think through how best I solve, should solve the situation, or those really great questions won't come forth. So the first and most important thing is to take that breath, release it, do a quick body scan, um, and release the tension you have in your body so it frees up the blood to flow back into your brain so you can be smart again and um, be present and choose how you want to feel. So that's step number one, and it's really the most important step, and it's often the step we forget because we, we think we can manage this with our thoughts and our brain, which we can't. Um, so the next, so, and, and yeah, go ahead. Before you go on, I just want to ask, so professional mm-hmm. athletes, for the ones mm-hmm. we watch on, you know, sporting events and TV screens yeah. and admire all the time, mm-hmm. really do this before I'm about to take that power for that shot that's going to clinch the game, I'm going to mm-hmm. relax my body. I'm going to just do a quick body check. I'm going to take a deep mm-hmm. breath and mm-hmm. then go. They really do that. Well, you know, generally it's like before they take that free throw or, or the, you know, or crack that bat so they have the chance to do that. But honestly, they've been taught to take that breath, release the tension, and release and to, to empty their mind. And you can do this in a fraction of a second. And, you know, and that's, I think the big thing is, like, how many people have been told, oh, you have to have affirmations and positive thinking, and I'm a winner, and I can do this. And every single one of them told me, oh, no, no, no. If I tell myself, uh, oh, be a winner, then my brain entertains the thought of losing. So I can't even be thinking. So, you know, there was actually this one book called In the Zone where, um, uh, the guy's name was Michael Murphy, and he had also had interviewed all these athletes from all these places. And consistently, you know, they said, all I do is I can sense my body moving. I can feel my arms moving, my legs moving, and it's, it's almost like a dance. And I'm not thinking. You know, all my thinking and visioning I do before the game. But in that moment, I have no thought. I relax, no thought, and then they center themselves. So they're really taught um, that spot in the center of your body. You know, it's whether it's your navel or below it or with singers, it's just above it. But this is your point of strength. And, and if you drop your awareness to the center of your body, then you're really grounded and, and um, balanced. And that's when they can perform the best. Um, and, you know, I know martial arts teaches it and yoga, and there's a lot of arts that teach being aware of the center of your body. But even if you just take a breath, a deep breath, and, and just put your awareness where the bottom of your breath is, you know, and so you can quickly do that. You relax, clear your mind, center yourself, and then remember that what's that emotion I want to feel in this moment, your anchor word. You know, feel confident, feel strong. You know, if because they told me that you know, it's ideal if they could keep their mind free, but that's a difficult thing for humans to do. <laughs> so if if they could just remember that one thing they want to feel, uh, and just stay there, then they can stay in the zone and out of their head. 
Okay. I love that one. Um, Lou Suska, same similar vein, having studied lots of um, Army military personnel at West Point, mm-hmm. as well as a lot of athletes, says mm-hmm. that the difference between a fabulous professional golfer and an average mm-hmm. golfer or good golfer is the mm-hmm. professional isn't thinking when they stand up to take the first tee or any tee. <laughs> and the regular golfer player is thinking all the time about a whole range of things same idea okay so the number one is to relax my body to not think to take the breath to center on the core the center part of my body to be very centered in that and empty my mind and at minimum i've got back to my one anchor word or one anchor Mm -hmm. of feeling so that's step number one what's step number two well actually those are the four steps so it's oh those are the four steps okay relax Detach, which means clear your mind. Center is the third step. Center yourself. Put your awareness in the center. And then um, focus on the one word, the one thing you want to feel. Relax, detach, center, focus. Okay. That sounds easy. Relax, center, detach, and focus. Okay? Good. All right. Fabulous. I get that one. Now, can you actually get leaders in corporate environments to do these steps? Oh, it's amazing. So when I teach these classes, um, I give them this, like, business card size. I call it my handy-dandy pocket guide that has the four steps, relax, detach, center, focus, you know, and just a little sentence to each. And, um, and, they, and I get emails years after my training program where they'll say, you know what, I, I pulled your card out of my wallet right before that uh, really difficult meeting, and it was so helpful. Thank you. So they are, <laughs> but I have to give them something to remind them because, you know, how many times do we hear good advice, um, you know, and, and, and watch webinars, attend sessions, and then we don't do anything. So I put it in a little guy, uh, card so anyone listening can, you know, write this on the back of a business card and stick it in your wallet, relax, detach, center, focus. You know, and I have it on my website. I have these steps um, written up there. Uh, you know, so there's just a, a lot of lot of uh, tips that you can take with you. <sighs> so remember to do that. Okay, fabulous. And, and you know, so- wanted I have to. I, I just want to add one thing too. That sometimes it's good to have a prop. You know, if it's hard to. Uh, to change your emotion at the moment because you're so scared or irritated with someone. And um, some of my clients, like, you know, they carry pictures of their, their children, remembering, you know, this is what's most important in my life or, or uh, places on the planet that made them feel calm. You know, so having a, a picture or something that makes you laugh uh, so you get out of your emotion um, before you even go in, just so you, you shift, make an emotional shift and don't be stuck. That's also helpful. Okay. I, um, I'll give you an example from one of my coaching practices. I've told a lot of people this one, but years ago I had a, an individual who just got so angry in the course of mm-hmm. meetings, largely yeah. because the people sitting around the room were younger, less experienced, and making fairly naive comments. All with good mm-hmm. intent, but they were still mm-hmm. actions that were not going to go anywhere. And the particular mm-hmm. individual used to get so frustrated. I don't want, I, we're wasting time. I know that isn't going to work and so on. But when you mm-hmm. react, especially with younger employees, 
from that space of this isn't going to work, quit wasting my time, it doesn't tend to go very well. So I gave this person a Tibetan prayer bracelet to wear (laughs) in those meetings so they had something to fidget with just mm-hmm. to put the energy in another place rather than holding it in the body and kind of, you know, tensing up from it. And that yeah. was the intent. Nothing other than a place to put that energy. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think props are good. <laughs> okay. All right. Fabulous. Okay. And a reminder beforehand is also really important. Now, Marsha, you mentioned your website, but I don't have your website in front of me. What is your website if people want to see the, the sure. details? Sure, it's outsmartyourbrain.com. So okay. www.outsmartyourbrain.com. I love that one, outsmartyourbrain.com, as in get your brain out of the way. Yes. Now, how important in all of... It's not always there of, to help, you know? That's right, it's not always there to help. Um, so let me go, let's talk a little bit about neuroscience. Mm-hmm. So is, you follow this field, particularly around things that trigger feelings of connection, commitment, and possibility, as you say. How mm-hmm. does, is there anything from the latest research that helps us understand this whole bit about getting comfortable with discomfort? Yeah. Well, I think it's really important that um, people understand that once we were able to finally scan the brain and figure out how it works, which wasn't that long ago, that, um, you know, that's why all those books were written about change your thoughts, you change your behavior, because we used to think that things happened, we thought about it, and then we reacted. And once they were finally able to scan the brain, they realized that's backwards, that what happens is, is that we perceive something, um, you know, we see someone walking down the street, we, or we, we even know we have a meeting to go to, and then the brain will react uh, and cause uh, you to tense up to, to protect yourself, um, and then you think about it. So understanding that there's a biological reaction before there's a logical <laughs> reaction, and we often then justify our behavior, um, even though it doesn't make sense. So I think the most important thing from neuroscience is to know that we have all these reactions. You don't try to make sense of them. Don't try to make them go away. Just notice, huh, I've got tension. I'm having a reaction. You know, do I need to know why or can I just breathe and let it go right now so I can be present and choose? And that's why I say outsmart your brain because your brain's primary purpose is to protect you and to make you comfortable. It doesn't like discomfort. And so it's going to make you do things to make that discomfort go away. So you have to choose. You have to get beyond your brain and say, thank you, brain, and, you know, this is what I'm choosing to do right now. You know, to release, to notice the discomfort in your body, release it, and then choose. You know, who, what you want to say, what you want to do, even if what you say is going to create discomfort, but it's your choice. So you have to go beyond what your natural reaction would be. Okay. All right, so that brings us right back to your four steps, this notion of to relax, which is to let go, to notice the reaction and to let it go, mm-hmm. to breathe, to mm-hmm. detach, to clear my mind, step mm-hmm. away from it, to center myself, and then to focus mm-hmm. on what it is that matters to choose, what I think I want to do in this moment in time. Mm-hmm. 
Makes a ton of yeah. sense there. And, and I will echo, there's been a ton of research, um, both from the psychological field and experiments as well as from neuroscience, documenting the fact that the biological reaction happens in a matter of six seconds. That's it. <laughs> it goes. You can't stop it. You can't control it. You can't alter it. It just is yeah. hardwired, and that's it. And then right. we interpret after the fact. So the logic often is colored by what just happened biologically, not as much by the facts as we think it does. And plenty right. of books to read on that one if you want more, including um, your own, I'll Smart Your Brain. Yeah, that and the discomfort zone. Um, I talk a lot about what is discomfort, where does it come from, and you know, and how to use it, not just make it go away. <laughs> okay. All right. So fabulous. So discomfort, how to use it and how not make it go, how to use it. I'm going to just leave it at that thought. So we're going to take a break again. With me today is Marsha Reynolds. The book that we're talking about is The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversations into Breakthroughs. Marsha's website, just to remind you, is www.outsmartyourbrain.com. And on the website, you will find more details about Marsha's four-step method for managing through discomfort taken from what professional athletes do in the zone. Number one is relax, meaning with the breath. Number two is center in your body, in that core part of your body, so that you're centered and balanced. Drop your awareness to that spot. Number three is detach, meaning clear your mind. Stop the thinking. Stop the analyzing. And number four is focus. Focus on the single word, the single feeling, the intent, what you're trying to get out of it, that those are the cores for taking difficult conversations into a positive place of discomfort. That's an awkward one to say. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. When we come back, I want to talk about how do you know when you've pushed people too far and what do you do then? We'll be right back. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. 
With me today is Marsha Reynolds. Marsha is um, specializes in helping leaders have more effective and meaningful conversations. And part of that comes from pushing people into discomfort, both yourself and people who work for you, in order to create breakthroughs. Now, the beginning part of this show, we were talking about the fact that it's only when you shake up your brain, and that means that there's going to be an emotional reaction, that you're actually going to grow. And that there are particular ways in which you as an individual driving a difficult conversation want to think. And those start with being really clear about the emotion, the one emotion you want to carry with you, being really focused on what the other person wants and how you're going to help them get that. And then three, really truly believing them. Then there is the when you're in the moment and there is an emotional reaction going on, how do you deal with that? How do you get yourself in the zone, if you will, to be present, to be focused, to do the right things? And that has to do with relax, detach, center, and focus. Okay, so Marsha, we all get the notion that we our brains react biologically first and then logic sort of mm-hmm. follows in some disorderly manner, actually often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that pushing ourselves and other people into the zone of discomfort is really where growth comes from and breakthrough comes from. But as a leader, I have to be worried about when I push people too far so that I push them over the edge. So how do I begin to know what's too much? Well, first off, um, in what I work with my leaders to do um, is a process of reflective inquiry where, you know, when I'm talking to you and what I'm doing is just kind of feeding back what I'm hearing you saying and I'm sensing that's, you know, what your block is and just asking you questions about that. That's easier for me to take. Even if it makes me uncomfortable, I'm not likely to overreact uh, that if you just give me direct feedback, where my when you give me direct feedback, my brain perceives that as a threat, no matter what, and um, and sometimes it's just too hard for people to take. So, like for example, one of the times uh, my boss uh, changed my life, um, I was complaining to him about um, uh, my team and. Uh, nobody was doing um, enough work. I was having to do all this work, and they didn't care that much, and all those things that often high achievers complain about. And, and when I paused, he said, wow, you seem um, like you're always disappointed with people. And just that reflection made me stop and go, oh, wow, that's interesting. And, I mean, I started to click in my brain, Am I, are, do people always disappoint me? You know, and then he asked me the question, will anyone ever be good enough for you? And I gasped. I even had to go think about it um, because it affected, you know, that's what I had been doing to all my relationships in my life. It was one reflection and one question that made me stop and see that maybe I was part of the problem, that my judgment, um, you know, was separating me from them. We weren't working together. Um, and there was all kinds of things that are brought up for me. But the point was is that he just listened deep enough just to share what he was hearing and then to be curious about it. Now, again, it's like I, I, I did have to think about that. But, but going over the edge was not a bad place. It wasn't a, you know, a horrible thing. I'm angry with you and I'm never going to come back or I'm never going to work for you. That type of thing is, is the danger zone. 
And asking the question is not going to cause that, whereas giving someone direct feedback could. You know, so I, I think it's more in the delivery than necessarily the reaction because people will react on different ways. So how are you being with people? Are you just, again, receiving what they're saying, really listening deeply, summarizing what you hear, and then being curious about it? If you're doing that, it's not likely that... um, that you're going to, like, ruin them or or make them not want to, uh, you know, break your relationship. In the end, they often appreciate that you had the courage to do that. Uh, so, again, it's like, you know, how are you delivering this? Does it sound like judgment or does it sound like you really care? Okay, so we come back to the deep, the stronger the relationship in the first place the more I'm going to tolerate someone pushing me into a zone of discomfort. So if I don't trust a manager to begin with, or a peer for that matter, and now you're pushing me into a zone of discomfort, that tends to get a fairly defensive and hostile reaction. Where when there's a base of trust, meaning I know you have my best interest at heart at a minimum, Uh it's easier to listen. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I can't tell you I liked my boss. Okay. (laughs) Or even had... um, uh, there were some things I didn't even respect his knowledge on. You know, there were other things that he brought to the table. We didn't have a great relationship. So this can work even if the relationship isn't strong, but I didn't think he was necessarily, like, out to get me, but it was that he was present there for me. And and um, I do believe he believed in me. I do believe he felt that I did good work. Um, that he disagree with my perspective, that often happened. So again, I, that comes back to what we were talking about before. What is your intention to the conversation, and how do you feel about this person? Because if you don't believe in them, um, and your intention is they better change or else, then it's not going to be a good conversation, and you could easily throw them over the edge. Um, so I, I do think it's going to be a range of levels of trust, but they have to trust you in that moment that you're having the conversation, you know. So, yes, trust before the conversation is going to help, but that that better carry through throughout the conversation. If you jump into judging the person, then no matter what you had before, you're going to lose them. Okay. So let me give you an example I had last week. So I am working with an individual coaching this person. I'll give them the name John for the sake of an identity at this Mm -hmm. point. And I'm listening, going through with John some feedback um, from within the organization some that had, you know, some things that people have said, some issues that need to be dealt with. And there's always this nervous laughter. Mm-hmm. which is often a sign that there's something underneath. When there's that number slide, there's often, my job as a coach is to help people lean into the place yeah. that they wouldn't normally go, particularly around emotions. And mm-hmm. so I made a comment about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. what emerges is the individual kept putting themselves down. The mm-hmm. nervousness was, you know, there would be a flick of the eyes or, you know, you know mm-hmm. I'm like that or some dismissive comment about themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I use this technique, you know, as we often do in coaching, to bring people back to, so seems you're uncomfortable with or yeah. what's driving this reaction or what are, you th- what are you feeling about this reaction? And I could never get the person to focus on what was going on. They took it off track 
every single time. Off to something different, off to another example, off to another joke. I mean, it was just, I I must have tried five times. And then I, you know, finally said, I quit. So (laughs) what do you do as a manager when, or as a peer for that matter, when I am doing this with all the right intent, I'm trying to ask the question, I'm trying to um, reflect my observation with all good intent, but people are just not going there. What's, What's your advice then? Yeah. Um, I always come back to the willingness question to share what I'm observing in the process and then ask if they're willing. So like in that case, um, you know, if somebody keeps, they're so uncomfortable that they keep going off in 10 different directions every time you get close to something. I would stop and say that, you know, this conversation keeps veering off track um, whenever it feels like we're we're getting to a point of, of uh something that's bothering you. And I'm wondering if you were, you know, are you willing to work with me on this to really find what is at the core um, of this, you know, situation, this problem, uh, or your fear? Are you willing to work with me on this or not? Or is this just too much for you right now? I would ask the willingness question. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm always direct about what I'm observing in the process. You know, so I would even say whatever that trigger point was, you know, that they then ran away, I'll say, wow, right when we were talking about this, you changed the subject, you know, or you, you know, there was that nervous laughter again. And, and I often try to name the fear, and, and, and it's okay to be wrong. So I might say it seems to me that, you know, that you um, are reluctant to look at your relationship with your peers. Every time we approach that, you go somewhere else, you know, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and be wrong. They could come back then, and if you're wrong, they'll tell you. And they'll say, no, 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 it's not my peers. It's this project, you know, that I'm uncomfortable with. But whatever it is, if you try to take it to the deeper level to find out, even if you're wrong, it's good. So I would try to help them articulate what that fear is, even if I don't know it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously in this case, I did do that, but I still couldn't, mm-hmm. we just couldn't get anywhere. It's interesting yeah. because in a prior session, we'd actually touched this. And I just yeah. think it, you know, it just wasn't a place the person was ready to go. And there, those times yeah, happen. Yeah, that question. Right. Yep. They're not ready. They're not willing at this moment. Right. And right. we have to accept that, you know, because then you're right. Then you can't push them any lot because then then it becomes pushing, and they'll just you know run away. Right. So, yeah. Um, the thing that I often say to leaders, especially if you're thinking that you're going into a difficult conversation, is to have your closing line kind of prepared. So <laughs> something very simple. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're getting resistance or the conversation isn't going very well or you feel like Mm -hmm. you can't take it the place you wanted to go or you're now having a reaction that isn't helpful, that you've got that line that lets you say, we'll pick this up another day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often say to people something as simple as, we'll think about it, let's talk later. So that you you have Mm -hmm. an opening to come back to it, but you don't have Mm -hmm. to feel like we've got to sit here for an hour and battle about this. Yeah. Because then I think damage is done. Yeah. I think that's great. And and Wanda, it's a good, you know, that shows your expertise. You know, so many times, um, you know, the leaders that we work with, I'm sure you've seen it, to where they just get so, like, 
um, we have to talk about this, and they just get to pushing, and then they make it worse. You know, but by just, again, recognizing, um, okay, wow, we're just really not getting anywhere. Um, so maybe it would be great if we just let this go for a little bit and then come back to it on Tuesday. All right. So, Marsha, you were just saying that this recognize that when you're you are become pushing and that you're now in the zone of talking too much is the other thing. That, <laughs> yeah. and, and just have a reason Very to good. close the cause at that point. Yeah. Okay. So with me today is Marsha, Dr. Marsha Reynolds. Um, Marsha's three books are the following. Outsmart Your Brain, Wonder Woman, and her latest, the one we've been talking about today, The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversations into Breakthroughs. Her web site is www.outsmartyourbrain.com. You'll find any number of tips on that one as well. The core notion is that pushing yourself and other people into a zone of discomfort is where the real growth and the real breakthroughs happen. But we have to do that one carefully so as not to push other people over the edge. And I love this notion that it has to do with the intent with which I bring to the conversation, the emotion that I bring to the conversation, and the belief that I have in the other person that something good will come out of it. And then I'm yeah, going to also okay. reiterate your four steps for getting in the zone and doing peak performance, particularly in difficult times. Relax, detach, center, and focus. Marsha, it's been fabulous to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Wanda. I've enjoyed it, too. All right. Thanks very much. So join us next week for another continuation on these same kind of conversations in Out of the Comfort Zone. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.